Yeah, I'm glad uh, we're a church that's able to talk about that, right? And even able to pray for things going on outside in our government. Um, so, yeah, it's good to be in front of you guys again, just to be able to preach and um, just really continue our series in First John. Uh, if you guys um, kind of bring us back together, last week it was MLK weekend, so we talked a lot about racial, re- racial reconciliation, um, but this week we're going back into our series. We're in the middle of a series called True Life. We're in a series on First John, and we're in the text on the second chapter. Um, so the text that I have today is First John chapter 2 from verses 18 to 27, and the title that I have, is there a ringing? Sorry. There's always technical difficulties in church, like every week. <laughs> That's why I learn ministry. <laughs> so the, the title of my sermon is really though, who is Jesus? And as we go along, we're going to be understanding, you know, what's going on here? What is John trying to say in this letter? And the controversies and the heretics that might be going on, and how it goes back to Jesus. But before I start, um, I want to start with a story. Uh, did you guys grow up in a church in your childhood? Did you guys grow up, like, you know, going to Sunday school, you know, all that kind of stuff? Uh, for me, um, I have a picture of just of my church. I grew up in, like, the suburbs of this, like, small Chinese traditional church. You can see the little white building over there. Um, and so I had this weird drawing over there. I'll explain that in a second. Um, but na- nowadays when I'm actually doing uh, school amongst, like, uh, in seminary, talking to other pastors and stuff like that, what you do is you try to say, oh, hey, how, how are you? What are you doing? And they'll often ask me, like, oh, did you grow up in church? And I was like, oh, I haven't really been asked that in a while. But, yeah, I haven't grew up in church. And it's funny how, you know, nowadays, like, we're going forward, we got to get the better things, better than, you know, there's so much going on in our lives, but sometimes we forget our roots, right? We forget where we came from. Did you grow up in a church? Oh, yeah, I guess I did. <laughs> I want to share a funny story. So, back when I was in Sunday school, I was the bad kid. I was the brat, the one that, like, the Sunday school teachers hated so much. And it's because when we sat down and did our worksheets, I would just, like, just run away and I'd do whatever I want. I would crawl under the table. I just like just really mess with the teacher. I was really bad. And so in, in one of the Sunday school rooms, like kind of like what we have here, I would crawl under the table and I would draw and graffiti the tables. And so back then, I really liked this Nintendo character called Kirby. And so that's something that I like. Something that I would like to draw. And the funny thing was, I would date it. For some reason, I felt very proud that I was like graffitiing the church. So I would date my, my little graffitis. And it's so funny. So after a few years and all that kind of stuff, God redeems me, all that kind of things, um, I go back and I check under the table to see my drawings. And it turns out there's a new drawings. There's other kids who have crawled on the table, saw my drawings, and have continued the tradition. So that's my legacy to my church, just the graffitiing the. the <laughs> to the tables. Um, but honestly, I legitimately forgot that story uh, for such a long time. And I think it was funny that when people asked me, you know, did you grow up in church? I could remember like, oh yeah, man, I was really bad back then and God really did redeem me. Um, so that kind of thing, I would just be honest thinking about like just, you know, our own personal stories. Where did we come from? What's our identity and how did God, how has God been working in our lives? Not just today, not just past year, but our entire lives too, right? Um, and I'll get to this later in, in, the, in the sermon. Um, but now we're going to, why don't we jump into the text of 1 John. If you guys have been here before, uh, going along or not, it's okay. I'm just going to kind of catch us up. What's going on here? Why is John writing this? And what's like the issues that are going on here? 
So this is already a few decades past Jesus' ministry. He's already gone. He's already done his stuff. And Jesus is resurrected, right? And now Peter, John, Paul, they're going out and they've started this movement of churches. And they're going out there. It's like very early, only like a couple decades after. Um, and it's being so loving, so countercultural, loving people that are, are gross or just like not loved. They're bringing them in. So very inclusive, very loving. But the issue is that because they're so open doors, they're allowing people that are broken, right? They have problems and prides and all that kind of stuff. And you see a lot of the letters that Paul and John are writing are saying, all right, come on, guys, we, we got we to gotta clean the sums of the stuff up. Right? You can't attack each other. You can't hurt each other and all this kind of stuff. So that's what we're reading in, the, in all these kind of letters and stuff. So what is, but what is John trying to say in his letter here? If you remember when Stephen preached the first sermon, he said that there's, there's a controversy that's going on right now in John's church. There's this group called the Gnostics, and we'll go into them later, but they're basically preaching this heretical thing that's trying to change and morph who Jesus is. And so John hears about this, and it's threatening the, the, the gospel message. It's threatening what the, the basis of what they're doing, right? And so John is writing this letter to them. But I want to say... I'm kind of bringing this up because my passage today, of course, deals with the controversy, the, the, the spicy stuff and all kinds of stuff. So we'll get into that. Um, but I want to remind you guys that the, the, the overarching goal of this letter is not just to talk about heretics or just talk about controversy. John really wants to encourage and to, and to yeah, encourage the, the church about the fellowship that they have with God, the fellowship they have with each other, and the security of the eternal life that they have. You know, that's being tested right now. But it's not just a controversy. It's more about encouraging them. Um, so why don't we just jump into the text right now? Uh, we can go a few slides. We can, you guys can read along with me. Um, 1 John 2, 18. We'll read along together. And then we're going to read along straight through. So we can read it in just one go. And then after we'll go verse by verse, seeing what the heck is going on in here. So well, let's read together. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, well, even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not, do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever acknowledges the Father has the Father. Uh, whoever acknowledges the Son also has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he has promised us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for, the, as for you, the appointing you receive from him remains in you. You do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real and not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Cool. Why don't you... Uh, Bow your heads with me in prayer before we jump into the text. Father God, I just really want to just come before you and just really surrender this message to you, God. Um, and not just for me, but for all of us, God, that I think we all come from different backgrounds and all the ways that we relate to you, God. 
But I just want to pray that we'd be able to submit to your scripture, submit to your Holy Spirit and what it's trying to teach us today. I really pray that it would nourish us, God, that, you, that your word and this message would be a, an encouragement, that we'd be able to see you more and fall in love with you even more, God. I really just want to pray, um, yeah, just for that surrender, God, and that we would just be able to have a good, good conversation today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Cool. Okay, so let's take this verse by verse and let's figure out what is going on. So let's go back to the first verse in uh, verse 18. And it basically starts off saying that this is the last hour. That's a pretty intense thing. And what does that mean? What is the last hour? And there's Antichrist coming, all this kind of stuff. So for me, as I'm reading this, I'm trying to study this. Uh, last hour, maybe you could refer to the end of the age. Jesus is coming, right? The second coming of Jesus, and the world ends, and everything's done, right? And in the minds of John and the apostles back then, they were really thinking that, wow, Jesus is coming back soon. It didn't happen right away, right? We're still here. I mean, thank God. I mean, <laughs> thank God that he didn't come back right away, right? Because uh, no, we wouldn't have known <laughs> the gospel. But this is like this impending kind of last hour that's going on, right? So you could either think, okay, John is talking about when Jesus is coming, or maybe it's just like a last hour, the end of an age, right? What? Either way, I'm not sure what's going on, but I think the idea is that there is this last hour, there's this final battle that's happening. Whether it's he's referring to Jesus coming or an end of an age, there's this idea of a final battle, and it shows up in the fact that the Antichrist is coming. You know, this movement has been so good. Jesus has conquered death, the church has been great, and all this kind of stuff. But now there's some pushback, right? The devil is pushing back and trying to suppress and trying to manipulate the church. And so what John is trying to say, listen, guys, be aware there is a battle going on, and there are the Antichrists here. And so John, when we start off this passage, we introduce the fact that there is a problem. There's the last hour, there are these Antichrists. So when we go on to verse 19, we see that the Antichrists used to be among them, but they did not stay. And I think why... Uh, John talks about this. He doesn't really talk about the, the theology and all that kind of stuff, but it kind of already shows that John really puts a huge emphasis on unity, right? It's, it's, it's so bad that they left us, and they were never belonged to us, right? But I think in the heart of this, John's trying to show that um, one of the worst things that they, they're doing is that they're trying to divide the church with this new teaching that they have, and the, all the controversies and all that kind of stuff. And even in verse 26, I jumped ahead a little bit. Um, I think there's a verse... Um, it says, like, they're trying to lead us astray. And so one of the great sins that these, this new group is trying to do is trying to divide the church with confusion about the truth. And so, again, we have a problem. It's the Antichrist. We don't really know who they are, what's going on here yet, right, in these first couple verses. We know that they're causing division and confusion with, within the church. So imagine you're in Paul's shoes. Right? You hear about these problems in your home church. What, are you gonna, what, do you, what do you want to say to them? What are you, you going to do? You guys uh, read the good books or all this kind of stuff. What, what, what does Paul, well, sorry, not Paul, what does John choose to write to them? He talks about the Holy Spirit. Interestingly, right? So um, in verse 20 and 21, you'll see that um, he talks about the anointing of the Holy One. Um, and the Holy One is referring to the Holy Spirit, referring to God, right? Um, the fact that you guys are not alone. Don't worry. Um, God is giving you the best gift that you have. Right? We're talking about in this letter the, the fellowship that we have with God, the assurance that we have. And one of the best things that God can give us is not a cool textbook, right, or some great food. I mean, th- those are great too, right? But it's the fact that God gave us his Holy Spirit, right, his own presence. So don't forget, as we're being confused and all that kind of stuff, 
John's reminding them, don't forget, you guys have the Holy Spirit, right? And I think what John is trying to think, too, is like, the community has already been rattling all kinds of stuff, right? And John's confidence is not, in, not so much within the community, but it's within God, right? Like, God is stronger than all this kind of stuff. God is stronger than the controversies of the Antichrist. And John is saying, don't forget, guys, you have God. You have the Holy Spirit that's dwelling within you. You have an anointing by him. If you guys don't know the truth, well, why not ask God, right? But at this point, we see this kind of, this kind of dichotomy, right? The Antichrist and the bad and divided church. And then you have the Holy Spirit who has the truth, right? But I want to press it a little further, right? But who are the Antichrists? Uh, John, I'm not so quite sure. Oh, am I the Antichrist? Is this guy the Antichrist? What's going on? Why? Who is the Antichrist? Can you clarify for me? And so John does, right? He continues in verses, uh, verses 21, 22 and 23 about who the Antichrist is. And it says, who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Who are the Antichrists? The Antichrists are deniers of Jesus. I really want to press in on this point right here. I'm going to stay here for a little bit. Not for a little bit, actually a long bit. The final battle, the last hour, what's going on here? It's not on which worship music you like, which church programs we should do. Oh, Mosaic has this good stuff, but we should do that, right? All this kind of stuff. No, it's not about the programs or our preferences, all that kind of stuff. It's about Jesus, right? The final battle, everything hinges on the fact that who is Jesus? Is Jesus really Christ? Is Jesus really my Savior? Is he good enough? Is he really the one that we, we can really trust in, right? We can have the best programs, the coolest things, all kinds of stuff. But do we have a correct idea of who Jesus is? Right? That's the final battle. Now, this, I really want to focus on this, right? Because I think to deny Jesus as Christ, what does that mean? And I don't want us to be confused about this, right? Because I think, uh, I, was, I was reading this, and I was like, okay, deny Jesus. Wait, but I think a lot of people nowadays are struggling with Jesus, right? The, you know, we have friends and families who are, who are not part of a church or who are not Christians. Are they antichrists? If I go to see my, my friend and they say, if I ask them to come to my Bible study and they say no, should I say, you're the Antichrist, you're evil? No, I mean, I don't think so, right? What's going on? What does it mean to actually deny Jesus as Christ? I don't think in, Paul, in John's mind, and I'm, I'm going to try to prove it to you guys, that John's not thinking about people who are struggling or even our friends who might not be know about the gospel, right? Think about it. John even denied Christ at one point. Peter said no. We know when, when, John, uh, sorry, when Jesus was taken away, right, to the cross, all the disciples ran away. They, in a sense, denied Christ, right? So I don't think, I want to clarify, to deny, Christ, deny, deny Jesus is not to struggle with him, right? Some of, you know, our friends who are not Christians, they might not know the, the exact answer of who Jesus is. They need to, you know, so I'm not saying that our friends and family who are not Christians, they're, they're not anti-Christ, right? And even for us, right? Let's be real. We struggle sometimes. We struggle with pain and suffering in our lives, and we, we find it hard to go to God, right? We don't become anti-Christ when we, we're, we're struggling with God, right? We're struggling with Jesus, right? Even when we're saying no to God sometimes, that does not mean we're anti-Christ. So let's, let's take a step back and think. What is the context of this letter? You know, I was talking about those Gnostics, right? Those, those heresies before, right? In the mind of John, 
when he's writing these letters, he's thinking about these her- heresies, right? He, he's thinking about these people who are attacking his church, right? And so finally in the this, in this second chapter, he hasn't talked about it yet, finally gets the chance to say, okay, I really want to address those Gnostics, those, 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 those guys who are trying to divide the church, right? And so in his mind, that's what he's thinking about. He's not thinking about the people who are kind of going to the Bible studies and all that kind of stuff. He's thinking about the people who are intentionally distorting the image of Jesus, intentionally destroying the true character of Jesus. Oh, yeah, I have it up there. Boom. So that's what I'm trying to show you guys. That's what it means to deny Jesus as Christ, right? It's not to deny just Jesus, but to deny Jesus as the Christ. To say Jesus was not really the Savior. And to really, like, mess with it so that, you know, that Jesus was not really God, Jesus was not really man, all this kind of stuff, these weird things. But you see that they have a distorted, they've manipulated the image of Jesus to a different thing that, where, yeah, yeah, they're denying him as Christ. And this is not something that we, this is not the first time we've seen this, right? Um, remember back in Genesis, the first temptation, the first fall, what was the devil's um, tactics to mess with Adam and Eve, right? It was not with cool programs or worship music and all kinds of stuff. It, the devil was trying to mess with Adam and Eve's ideas of God, right? They tried to distort, distort God's, um, God's true character. Do I have it up there? The devil said to him, did God really say there's all kind of stuff? And all those kind of things I hear. Is God really trustworthy? Did God really say all this kind of stuff? See, the Antichrist, the devil, all those kind of things... They intentionally attack the true character of Jesus, try to distort it in a way where God's not loving, God's not the true Savior, all that kind of stuff, right? So, I want to, okay, I want to see how much time I have. (laughs) Um, The Greek Gnostics, let me give a quick history lesson. They came from a Greek paganism background. The Greeks like the idea of God and all this kind of transcendent, uh, very spiritual stuff. But then in their, in their minds, they didn't like the material world. So they said, like, the flesh was bad, the world was bad, all that kind of stuff, right? So when they, were th- they heard the gospel message, they could not handle the fact that Jesus became a man. Because man is bad. Flesh is bad, right? So the main controversy, I just want to quickly say, the, her- the, the Gnostics were saying, Jesus was God, but he was not man. He was God, but he couldn't have been a flesh and all that kind of stuff. That's bad, right? All those kind of things. But I want to try. I want to really tell you guys right now why this is a this is a heresy and why this really intentionally distorts the true character of Jesus. And it's with the gospel. So uh, I created a little uh, couple charts. Emily, you have to work with me. <laughs> so I'll just say next slide. I created this little thing with clip art, all that kind of stuff, so you can understand the gospel. So. On the bottom left, you'll see that that's man. A man and woman. Okay, if I said man, I've been really meaning man and woman. We're progressive here, right? So man and woman, so here, together. So this is the system that God has set up. And really that a lot of actually, you know, all of our morality and a lot of world religions have really believed, right? You know, we have a man on the bottom, and if you do good works, and if you succeed to do good works, you go to heaven, right? Be a good man, be a good person, and you get to heaven. It makes sense, right? Just be a good person. But if you fail, if you're a bad person, right, if you murder, you steal, all kinds of stuff, well, you deserve to die. Or you, do, you need a punishment, right? That's kind of the basic thing. The problem is we fail, right? None of us are perfect. It doesn't matter how good we are. We can do some good things, all kinds of stuff. Eventually, we get to the center point, and we, make it, we fail, and we deserve death, 
right? So if you go along with the slides, you see man goes to center, that's us, but we fail, we go down to death. Very sad. Um, so what, what is gonna, what's going to happen here? It's just, right? It's just that we, we've, we've missed the mark. God desires perfection. To go to heaven, you must be perfect, and none of us are perfect. So what is God... What are we going to do? This is a very sad state for us, right? What are we going to do? And God's not finished. God does not want to leave us in our despair, not, not in death, right? So what does he do? He comes in the form of Jesus. Can we go a couple of slides? Oh, yeah. So that's uh, us failing. If you go again. Right. Boom! Jesus! And clip art, uh, clip art, Glory. So Jesus comes in the form of a man, right? He, we start off in the bottom left, right? So Jesus starts off in the bottom left, too. The main difference is that when he gets to that middle point, right, on the next slide, he actually succeeds. Boom. And uh, then the next slide, he goes up. Boom. So he's the only one who can do it, right? And so, and the next slide is basically the gospel. While Jesus has succeeded, he says, let's trade places. Right? That's the gospel. Jesus is the only one who is a man and is perfect and is able to conquer, conquer every temptation, be, go through all the temptations and the sufferings that we go through, and still follow God. And then he says, let's trade places. That's the gospel. I'm not going to go more into that. Um, but, he, okay, now we've got to go back. Why is, it, why is it so important for, God, for Jesus to be fully man and fully God? He needs to be fully God so that he can cling on to God and say yes to him no matter what. He's the perfect one, right? He's the one who actually succeeds. But he needs to also be fully man because he needs to start at the same place as we do. And if the gospel is about trading places, then man must trade places for, with man, right? Jesus must become a human to trade places with humans, that makes sense, right? It can't be uh, uh, an angel. It can't be uh, a cat. It can't be anything else. If, if Jesus really needs to trade place with us, all of us here, he needs to be a human being. I really wanted to stress that because, you know, you, you guys will probably go out and you hear all these kind of things that people say about Jesus, right? He was, he was not this, he was not that, all kind of stuff. But I want you guys to understand that Jesus needed to be fully man and fully God to be our Savior. And so that's why the Gnostics were wrong. That's why, that's why John was so mad at, the, at these people and called them antichrist, right? It's pretty strong. But if Jesus is not fully man, then we are not saved, right? It's very important. Very important to understand so. Okay. So I'm going to try to finish up. He's both fully God and fully man. Boom. So again, let's, let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. Okay. What's going on here? In the final battle, we have to figure out who is Jesus, right? That's the most important thing. Who is Jesus? And so my question is, how can we have a right understanding of Jesus, though? If it's so important for us to figure out who Jesus is, what, how can we have a right understanding of Jesus? And I believe the last few verses uh, answer that. So if we go to verse 24 and 25. Um, As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. So I believe that when John is saying here is that... To have a right understanding of Jesus, you have to remain in the original message, right? Go back. Go back to the basics. Do you remember my story in the beginning how, um, uh, about my, my home church and all that kind of silly stuff? 
that's important for me, right? Because for me personally, because I was in a, such a bad, <laughs> silly, and bad state, but God redeemed me, right? If I had forgotten that, I would have forgotten how much good and how much God loved me, despite the fact that I had sinned so much against my Sunday school teacher and all that kind of stuff. It's so important for us to sometimes go back and remember. Let's go back and remember our history, right? Go back to the original message. Wait a second. When things get really tough and complicated, all kinds of stuff, let's go back to the basics. What is the original message? The gospel story of Jesus Christ. So whenever we get tough, whenever we get confused about who Jesus is, all kinds of stuff, let's go back to the original message. The second thing that John encourages the church with is in verse 26 and 27. He talks about things that, you know, I'm writing these things about you who are, about these people who are trying to lead you astray. But as for you, the anointing that you have, the anointing from the Holy Spirit, right, you received from him, remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that, and as that anointing is real and not counterfeit, just as taught you, remain in him. So again, Paul, Paul, he's saying Paul, John, anti, it goes back to this dichotomy of the Antichrist and the Holy Spirit, right? When things are get rough, go back to God, right? When things get rough, take a moment just to stop and just to pray, right? I think as New Yorkers, we need to hear that sometimes too, right? Especially even after this past weekend, right? I'm sure all of us are really confused and all over the place and have all, like, all this kind of stuff. But I think it'd, be, it'd do us all a good service just to really stop and just pray and just really listen to the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes I feel like we always have to talk. We always have to post like, these Facebook statuses, all kinds of stuff. The world pressures us to have an opinion. But maybe it's good for us to maybe just, just slow down just to listen to God, listen to the Holy Spirit. And allow him to teach us and to remind us of the things that we've maybe forgotten. So, this is my sermon wrapped up. If you guys, you know, I, I said that I went through a lie, I went through very fast too. But if there's anything, the really big idea I want you guys to have is really, let's have a right understanding of Jesus. Right? It's so important for us to have a right understanding of Jesus. To not deny him as Christ. To know he is fully man and fully God. And he loves us. Right? And the best way to do it, uh, according to 1 John, at least here, is to remain in the original message. Let's go back to the gospel story to remain in the Holy Spirit's teaching. Um, if you guys have those connection cards, um, on the back, I, have a, I, I gave you guys two tangible ways for you to respond. The first one is to read John 15. Um, this is just my suggestion. I'm not saying John 15 is the best chapter. It is one of my favorites. Um, <clears throat> but if you guys have another passage, another thing that really ministers and comforts you well, go back to that. But why I chose John 15 was that in this passage, John talks about remaining in God, right? Remaining and remaining and resting in Him. What does that really mean? I think John 15 is actually Jesus' words to His disciples. But not to His disciples, but to us today. What does it mean to remain in God? What does it mean to really trust in Him and rest in Him? John 15, and even those ch- chapters right there, <clears throat> excuse me, are a huge encouragement. Jesus' own words to his disciples, and I think even to us today. So that's something that I'd really recommend to you guys. The second one uh, really pertains to remaining in the Holy Spirit. Give you guys just 10 minutes. And I know that might be hard. You know, some of us are parents here. Some of us have family, all kinds of stuff. But give yourself just the privilege just to sit down and just to, just to rest for 10 minutes and just to, just to listen. I don't know about you guys, but, but for me, I'm always trying to do stuff. Right? I always want to get the next thing done. And I'm, I'm very hyperactive about you know, playing and all that kind of stuff. What's the next assignment? What's my next thing? 
And it's really hard for me to rest sometimes, right? I don't know about you guys, but sometimes just to sit down just to rest, um, it's very hard. And I need to really, for me, I need to have a discipline of just giving God space to talk. Instead of me talking to God all the time, right? I need to give God space to talk to. So maybe that's a, no, another uh, tangible application for you guys. Just give to God 10 minutes, or even more, if you guys can, just to give space for God to talk. Yeah, I hope this is an encouragement to you. Uh, why don't we close by praying?